quite unusual. A cool breeze nips at your cheeks as the autumn leaves fall. A blood moon rises over the water. You hear a faint noise off in the woods. A moment later, you hear it again. It's a woman shouting. You strain to make sense of the words. Again, her voice cries out, this time closer. You shake your head in confusion. Your heart beats in your throat. The woman is in the line of your sight. Closer, she runs, clutching her long skirt in her hands. Bare feet pounding on the dirt beneath. Grow a toe in! Escapes from her lips through ragged breathing. You turn and run in the same direction as her. Away, away from whatever the hell she's running away from. Towards the coast, you scream, almost in unison with the woman. Crow a toe in! Hello and welcome to the podcast. I am Noelle. And I'm Nicole. And we are the hosts of the Quite Unusual Podcast, the favorite podcast of the lost colony of Roanoke. Try to prove us wrong. You can't. Can't do it, bitch. Speaking of Roanoke, have you seen the American Horror Story series? I have. That's, I don't know. I was feeling American Horror Story when I wrote that little bit at the I beginning. I was going to say, that's like, I can picture Sarah Paulson as the woman running away. She is a goddamn national treasure. She is. I love her. I love her too. I don't think she's in that season though. Mm. I know Kathy Bates is. No, she is because she is plays she? the actor that plays oh, the real right, right, person. Right. Yeah, okay. That's like a Inception style. I forgot it was like that. Yeah. yeah. That was a terrible season, but... It wasn't the best. Yeah. Yeah. I like Murder House. That's my favorite one. I mean, that's the best one. It's the best one. And I mean, Coven, just Coven's because... Great. Witches. You can't, you can't yeah. go wrong with witches. Apocalypse was pretty cool, too. Apocalypse was cool. I didn't like... What was the political one? Oh, cult? Yeah, that was one was cu- Yeah, that one was really stupid. I don't even think I finished it. Yeah. I loved yeah. Evan Peters in it, but I just love him in everything. So well, I just love Evan Peters. Exactly. Worth being honest. Exactly. Um, anyways, we're pivoting to being an American Horror Story chat podcast. Podcast. Pivot. So we're pivoting. Um, so, yeah. That was... How do we... How do we transition from there? Yeah. Um... <laughs> Yeah, we're not we're not actually talking. This isn't an American Horror Story podcast. We're going to talk about the real Lost Colony, the Lost Roanoke Colony. Yes, and I just want to preface this episode by saying that it will seem very, very history heavy at the beginning, mm. but we need to set the scene. We need to get the facts straight before the mystery conspiracy theories kind of set in. So bear with us and... Yeah, I mean, we're we like facts, so we're not like... Let's read off of Wikipedia and laugh and maybe think it's true. That's yeah. not this podcast. No, no, no. We like cold, hard facts. Cold and hard. Yes. So I guess without further ado, do you want to start us off? Yeah, let's let's go for it. Okay, let's go back in time. All right, we're going to the year of 1578. Queen Elizabeth I is the Queen of England During this time, England and Spain were at odds with each other. King Philip II of Spain had actually been married to Elizabeth's half-sister, Mary, whom Elizabeth succeeded to the throne once she had passed. Awkward. Soups ox. (laughs) I I love it so much. Leave it in. All right. All right. Mary and Elizabeth weren't the closest of sisters. Mary actually had imprisoned Elizabeth for a year while she was queen because she had suspected Elizabeth of supporting Protestant rebels. 
Mary was a devout Roman Catholic, so she was not cool with that. So even before Elizabeth took control, there was some bad blood between her and Philip. Big yikes all around here. Yep. So once Elizabeth took the throne, she established the English Protestant Church, and this pissed King Philip off. He was not too happy about the ongoing spread of Protestantism. That is a mouthful. That's a word. Protestantism in England, which it's like, why do you care, bro? Here in Spain, just let it happen. I have no idea. And I'm not like, I don't know a ton about religion, but Mm -hmm. this has always been just absolutely insane to me. Like, why did the Catholics and the Protestants hate each other so much? I, I don't know. I mean, I'm sorry, but it's basically the same fucking thing. Like, (laughs) you both believe in the same sky, daddy. What's the issue here? I mean, if any war ever will just teach us anything, it's that basically every war is just fought over religion. And I don't know why. It's like everyone kind of has the same end goal. It's just getting there is a little different. Right. You know? I don't get it. I mean, again, not like a religion guy over here. But I'm just going to say, if there is a God... She's probably not like, uh, yeah, murder 8,000 people in my name. That'll be cool. I want that. For quite some time, King Philip was actually playing around with the idea of conquering England just to bring it back to a Catholic nation. Things between the two were not helped by the fact that Elizabeth allowed privateers, which are basically just, it's like a pirate that's commissioned by the government to raid and do pirate things. Okay. So she gave then the okay to raid Spanish ships coming back from the Americas. Damn. I don't know if I'm like, that's really awesome that she like hired pirates or if it's super shady that like the government is hiring pirates. Yeah. I think they were just at war with each other, each other. So she just kind of did anything just to piss them off. Yeah. That's what it sounds like to me. You got to. Yeah. England also signed a treaty of support with Dutch rebels At the time, Spain controlled the Netherlands, so this just kind of added fuel to the already brewing fire. And in 1578, Queen Elizabeth gave two half-brothers, Sir Humphrey Gilbert and Walter Raleigh, a six-year grant to explore and settle in North America. The main goal was to stop Spanish shipping, mine for some treasures such as gold and silver that they had heard were in the Americas, and to find a passage to the Pacific Ocean. And also, just as an added bonus, to Christianize the natives. You got to. Seems like the main mission was to sort of like stop North America from becoming a hub for Spain and like take control of that. But also, they want to colonize and pilfer because colonizers are going to (laughs) colonize. Right? Just shoving their religion down other people's throats. You gotta do it. That's basically what it was. The Lord wants this. Gilbert's ships unfortunately ran into a storm while he was at sea, and he didn't make it. Sadly, he died. Oh, rip, Gilbert. Yeah. His half-brother, Walter Raleigh, commissioned two small ships led by Philip Amatis and Simon Fernandez as a pilot, and the other one was led by Arthur Barlow. Okay, wait, pilot or captain? Reading this, I'm. it says pilot, so, I mean, maybe it's captain. Maybe it's supposed to be captain. Maybe it's the same thing. Pilot is a captain. All of our pilots and ship captains out there that listen to this podcast, <laughs> of which I know there's probably like at least a thousand, um, is it the same thing? Please let us know. I think it is. 
A pilot and a captain are essentially the same thing. They're like the head of whatever they're controlling, right? All right. I'll allow it. Okay. <laughs> it's allowed. <laughs> That's allowed. Together, both ships, along with 75 soldiers and sailors, sailed to the Americas until July 4th when they finally spotted land. Land, which is now known as Cape Fear. And literally, as I was researching this, the only thing I could think of is that movie with Robert De Niro. Have you seen that movie? Which one? Cape Fear. I've never heard of that. Oh, God. But you had me at De Niro and you had me at Cape Fear because, wow, that's like the dopest fucking name for a place. Oh, you got to see it. It's just basically Robert De Niro just saying counselor throughout the whole movie. But the plot. Yeah. That's basically the plot. You got to see it. It's really good. Okay. Um, You know what? I'll watch it tonight. Juliette Lewis is in there. Nick Nolte. Love love Nick Nolte, (laughs) if I'm being honest. All right. Cape Fear. They landed on shore on July 13th at Port Fernando, which was actually named after Simon Fernandez because he was the one who had discovered it. And men have to name everything after themselves. (laughs) I just... just, Very true. They just do it. They they got it. I guess if you discover something, though, maybe name it after you. Yeah. I would. I would have named it like Port, like, oh, I guess robots weren't a thing back then. All right. <laughs> Port <forget> Robot? <laughs> yeah. All right. Forget it. Okay. <laughs> the Native Americans called the area in which they landed. This is, all right. You can do this. Asamakamuk. Say it again. You got As- it. Asamakamuk. And what it was inhabited by Chief Wingina and the Roanokes. Which Wingina? I was saying Wingina. Wingina. But I can also say Wingina, but I don't <laughs> think it's that. Should we go with Wingina? I think, yeah, let's go with Wingina. Okay. And I just want to say that that's a fantastic band name. Chief Wingina in the Roanoke. <laughs> I'm getting like prog rock vibes from this. I'm Chief Wingina and these are the Roanokes. Oh yeah. And then they just like fucking wail. Or, or, or I'm Chief Wingina and we're the Roanokes. I like that better. Yeah. Yeah. Wingina. That's the female. That's the female prog rock version. Totally. The native people were actually used to European settlers in the area. So this wasn't out of, out of the normal for them. They weren't the first people to settle that they've seen. Right. When Gina and his relative, Gran Ganameo, both greeted the settlers with kindness and wanted to be their allies. Other chiefs in the area saw them as a threat and wanted nothing to do with these foreign people. Barlow was very happy with the land they had settled. He wrote in his journal, end quote, goodly woods full of deer, connies, which are actually rabbits. Oh, shout out to Connie, by the way. Oh, yeah. That's my mom. <laughs> Hares and fowl, even in the midst of summer, in incredible abundance. He also wrote, the highest, reddest cedars of the world. And in this moment, the colonizers were like, ah, the beautiful wonderland inhabited by friendly natives. Let's claim it in the name of the queen and desecrate the fucking shit out of it. Pretty much. Yeah. I'm, I don't know if you noticed, but I'm like kind of anti-colonizer over here. Yeah, I'm team anti-colonizer All as right. well. And cool. <laughs> On their return home, they brought back, so they come to the Americas, they kind of scout things out. On their way home, they bring back two natives, Wencheezy and Manteo. Wencheezy was a Roanoke, who was also an advisor to Wingina, and Manteo was a Croatoan, 
who was the son of the chief of Croatoan Island. And the chief of Croatoan Island was also a woman. Very progressive. Boom. Both of them were high ranking and their job was to basically just go with the Europeans and learn from them. It was also to show the Europeans that they accepted their presence on their land and that they were friendly with each other. Once the group returned to London, Wanchisi and Manteo moved into Durham House, which was a mansion given to Walter Raleigh by the Queen. They learned English and they taught some of the colonizers to also speak their language as well. So little tradesies back and forth. Yeah, convenient. Meanwhile, Walter Raleigh was scheming up a plan to raise enough money and support to travel back to North America and set up a large colony in Roanoke. By December of that year, Raleigh had the support of both the Queen and the House of Commons. Just one month later, in January of 1589, he was knighted and given the title Lord and Governor of Virginia. Virginia is what they would call the colony and why the state is named Virginia now. Uh, And also, I just put this like together literally right now. uh There's a city named Raleigh. Is it named after him? It's the capital, I'm pretty sure, of Virginia. Isn't Raleigh the capital? I think so. I'm pretty sure it is. I I won my uh, capital... I think it was like third grade or something. Yeah. Uh, maybe not third grade. Maybe fifth grade. I won the person who I was able to name all of the, the state capitals and do it the quickest in my class. That's very cool. I still remember some of them. Actually. Quick. What's Oklahoma? Oklahoma City. Whoa. <laughs> I believe you. I really hope that's right. <laughs> Otherwise, that's going to sound super stupid. Well, they named the capital city Raleigh later on, I guess. Um, and also Virginia's named Virginia because of this. Yeah. So along with being knighted, that officially made him Sir Walter Raleigh. Uh, but as he preferred to be called, it's SWR, which I vote we call him for the rest of the episode. Wait, did he actually ask to be called that or are you making that up? I just made that up, but I really like it. Can we call him like the Walter formerly known as? Oh, yeah. Or like the, would it be the SWR formerly known? Uh, SWR formerly Formerly known known as as Walter. Walter. (laughs) It's clumsy, but I like it and I will commit to this. It works. The colony of Virginia was a strategic stronghold in the Queen's eyes and a vital harbor for English privateers, a.k.a. pirates who would come to prey upon the Spanish. In April of that year, Sir Ralph Lane led an expedition at the direction of SWR (laughs) with about 100 colonists, including Manteo and Wanchese, to the Virginia colony. SWR did not go with them, but fun fact, all the people that sailed for North America were men, and they were mostly soldiers. Oh, fun. So on sails the sausage party (laughs) until they reach Puerto Rico. They hang out there for like a week or so, and then they make their way to the Outer Banks, which is now in North Carolina and still called the Outer Banks, I guess. Um, That's about 80 miles south of Roanoke. One of the ships crashes in an inlet and ruins all of the cargo. Like most importantly, they ruin an entire year's worth of provisions for the entire crew. Wow. Well, yeah, that's they're going to need that. Yeah, you're probably going to need food and stuff. Yeah. So now they have only about 20-ish days worth of food, which like, holy shit, right? Right. Everyone is high-key panicking, and this is absolutely <laughs> reflected in the way that they start treating the natives. 
Oh, no. While the English were gone, Wingina's people had seen a total solar eclipse, and immediately upon the colonists' return, a comet had slowly spread across the night sky. Hmm. The Algonquins thought that these were extremely significant signs, and when people began to die of a strange and quick-moving illness, they also saw those events to be related. Yeah, that's crazy. That reminds me of um in game of thrones when they see the red comet in the sky i think it's i think it's the first season dude that was forever ago right and they're like oh it means dragons or something like that but as we all know that comet brought a lot of pain and suffering because spoiler if you're one of like the two people in the world who hasn't seen game of thrones Almost everyone dies. Virtually everyone. And the people that don't die at the end, you just, you're not going to give a shit about them anymore. Yeah, it's just like... Mm. Yeah. So, spoiler, I guess. Spoiler. If you haven't seen a show that ended years ago. Does um, not end well. No, it's not great. Well, spoiler here, this also doesn't end well. <laughs> so, this is where Winchesey and a great portion of the tribe began to see the colonizers as, well, I guess like real bad dudes Mm. contrary to manteo who continued to attempt to assimilate into the english culture so manteo was like all for yeah he's like dressing like an englishman and like trying to like kind of buff up on his english like speaking okay so he wants to like he wants an in with the colonists yeah yeah okay cool an exploratory mission embarked to sort of suss out the land and things got out of hand so quickly it's fucking insane (laughs) Less than a week into the trip, Grenville, the leader, couldn't find a silver cup he swore he brought along with him, so he did what any rational man would do, and he accused the natives of stealing the cup, Oh! and when they did not confess, he had the entire village and all of the crops burnt to the ground <laughs> in order to avoid the appearance of weakness. Oh, right. Okay. That's, that's a great way to handle things. I feel like the colonists were just like giant toddlers. Who would just kill people if they didn't get their way, you know? Yeah. I mean, remember the Crusades? <laughs> like, not to be this guy, but England at this time sort of had a reputation for, like, killing people for virtually no reason. Yeah, very true. Yeah. And the worst part is that, like, they got back to the camp and he was like, you guys are not going to believe this. <laughs> the cup was in my pocket the whole time. It was in my backpack the whole time. The whole time. And they're all, like, laughing and high-fiving and... Oops. <laughs> Oopsie doopsie. <laughs> My God. I actually don't know if that part happened. I but... feel like it did. Or if it did, he just didn't tell anyone. Oh, for sure. He was just like, mm. and he like <laughs> throws it in like the river, yeah. pretends like it never happened. This is just so ridiculous. <laughs> Manteo defused the situation and he got Grainville and Gran Ganameo to come to an agreement that the colonizers will be allowed to occupy the north end of the Roanoke Island. And the English get started on a fort straight away. So at this point, the English are basically entirely dependent on the Algonquin people for food and for guidance. But the natives rightfully start to question start to question the ruthless violence exhibited by the colonists. Well, yeah, they just killed a bunch of people and burned all their crops over a cup. He couldn't find his cup, okay? It's That was his favorite cup. I mean, but still, if they're already kind of like, well, all of our food's gone, so now they're going to burn all the crops. Isn't that kind of, like, hurting them also? Have you ever lost your favorite cup, Nicole? Because it really sounds like you haven't. <laughs> it sounds like a big deal. 
So it was, had his favorite cup. It had his initials on it and everything. Okay. He drank all of his drinks out of it. Out of that cup. He even ate his cereal out of that cup. <laughs> People thought it was weird, but he was like, you know what? It's my favorite cup and I am doing this. He drank soup out of it too. He really liked that cup. Okay. So yeah, basically they just fly off the fucking handle all the time, even though they're completely dependent on these people yeah, for food and like everything, yeah. basically. Crazy. In August, Grenville sailed back to England, leaving behind Sir Ralph Lane and 107 colonists. The colonists spent the rest of the fall acquiring corn, venison, fish, oysters, and other provisions from neighboring villages to sustain themselves through the winter. Mm, my mouth is just watering at the mention of oysters. <laughs> I would say they're one of my top favorite foods of all time. I have never eaten an oyster. <gasps> really? Never, ever, ever. Do you like fish? Sure. Who doesn't? Well, then you'll like it. Really? I mean, it, they're kind of fishy. If you can get over like a lot of people don't like the like a text like the texture thing. What would you say the texture is like? Um. Well, some people say you're not supposed to chew them and you're just supposed to swallow them. But I kind of like to get a little little bit of bites in is it like a little chewy yeah also kind of super fishy so if you don't like fish i oh. could see why it would freak you out but I like fish all right i'll do it i'll so try good. it i'll try an oyster so good i'll try an oyster all right we're adding roanoke just for the oysters in the spooky town to our podcast crawl yes yeah we should make a map we should all right we're making a map the record keeping at the time was not super great, but it can be assumed that the English likely exhausted the variety of their food supply by early winter and they were stuck eating extremely monotonous and kind of lame rations until the spring of 1586. So no oysters. They ate all of them. Oh yeah. They like okay. ate those like day one. Okay. They had like an oyster party. I would too. Someone broke out like the hot sauce and they just went to town. They just got shucking. So then what were they actually eating? Just like leftover potatoes and leaves and sticks <laughs> dearest catherine we have been forced to eat nothing but mashed potatoes and pine needles for the better part of the frigid months and i fear i shall never again enjoy mashed potatoes that's that's a letter from <laughs> that i found on the internet so they were eating potatoes and sticks i don't know i made that up i feel like they're yeah they're probably eating like corn and like what's the nutritious value the nutrition of a potato nutrition value nutritious nutrition nutrition now now i don't know nutritious nutrition no of a fucking pine needle i don't know i had pine pine needle ice cream once what it was good it tasted sort of like a candle but in like a good way where did you get pine needle ice cream in door county really oh well Door County would be the place. Yeah, it was like a bougie-ass place. And they're like, do you want to try our pine needle ice cream? And I was like, oh, fuck yeah, I do, bitch. Give that to me. And then it wow. was delicious. So I don't think I'd ever want to try that. But if it's there, I'd have to try it, you know? Yeah, I probably wouldn't want to eat pine needles. But I guess if you're in Roanoke and like you burned all the bridges by like literally yeah. burning well, all the bridges. And all of the crops. Yeah. <laughs> then you're kind of stuck doing that. Yeah. During the winter, a modest explored the area and made contact with the largest Chesapeake village in the region, which was described as a modest settlement. They were thinking it's going to be like this huge, like Incan empire type situation. Uh And it was like a collection of like small buildings and like, that was it. Was it colonist or native American? It was native Americans. Oh, okay. Yeah. But 
The area was known to be extremely fertile and great for growing crops, which is good. Meanwhile, Harriet and Gans, who are other commanding officers, traveled around to other villages, meeting tribes and exploring. Harriet noticed that every town they visited was then plagued by a deadly epidemic in their wake. Which I'm just going to guess is probably smallpox or like the flu. Yeah, definitely something that they brought over. That's so terrible. And they don't have germ theory at this time. So like no one of them can explain what's actually going on. Like no one understands how this is happening. Yeah. And the natives. Oh, that's a good. That's a good point. Yeah. Like they have no idea how any of this works. Yeah. Because like they didn't even know that anything was spread the way. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Really crazy to think about. Yeah. The natives attributed the deaths of their people to supernatural forces unleashed by the colonizers. And the colonizers just sort of like shrugged and were like, well, I don't know. And like moved on because they didn't care or know. I mean, they're not they're. I mean, they're technically wrong, but not really that wrong. Supernatural forces. It's just a virus. Germs. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like the same thing. Yeah, the same thing. We don't understand coronavirus. So <laughs> no one understands. I've had it and I don't even understand it. So might as well be supernatural. <laughs> exactly. Wingina became sick and his own people couldn't heal him. He recovered after requesting prayers from the English and he asked the colonists to share this quote unquote power with the other sick communities. This obviously is not a real power. And the colonists just ended up spreading the disease to even more people trying to like heal them. With so many dead, the epidemic likely had a severe impact on the fall harvest. At the time when Lane's colony would have been heavily dependent on its neighbors, the Native Americans, to supplement its limited food supply. By spring, relations between the natives and the colony were strained, to kind of put it bluntly. Well, I mean, that doesn't surprise me, considering they just murder people over a cup. Yeah. And this was also most likely due to the colony's over-reliance on the natives' food supply. Like, they're going to want their share I mean, obviously, I think that's wrong. But like yeah, the nat- like right. the natives give it to them because otherwise they're going to... Look what they did over the cup. You know, it's like <laughs> right. they're going to give you the corn because they don't want a cup incident times right. two. I bet you they're super regretting burning all those crops over a cup right now. I, I feel like they don't regret it. And that's the worst <laughs> part. Probably. The death of Grand Ganymeo, who had been a powerful advocate for the colony, led Wingina to turn against the English. Wingina then changed his name to Pemisipan, which means the one who watches. Okay. Sounds so, so ominous. Another name change here? You have to. It's like outfit changes. The chief formerly known as? Oh, wow. Wingina. I like it. <laughs> so he removed his people from the area and he cut Lane and the colony off completely from this free food pantry they thought they had access nice. to. Nice. Good for him. In March, Lane met with Pemisipan about a plan to explore the mainland, which he was totally supportive of. And he had advised Lane that the leader, whose name is Menatonin, was meeting with his allies to plan an attack on the English. And that 3,000 warriors had gathered to fight the English. So he was sort of like telling Lane, like, yeah, dude, I'm totally on your side. Like, just so you know, this whole group of 3,000 warriors is coming to fight you. Oh, but, but were they? Well, at the same time, Pemisipan sent word to the chief Menatonin that the English would be coming to take their land. 
So it's like oh. some fucked up Parent Trap style double cross here. Yeah, mind games. Is Parent Trap the right movie to attribute this to? I mean, if we're considering the English, like the mom and then Menatone and the dad. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. We'll go with it. Okay. I like it. So this would make Pemis upon Lindsay Lohan in this scenario, right? Yes. And it would also make Lane Lindsay Lohan in this, this situation. Okay. Wait, would it? I don't think it would. No. No, it wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> He plays both parts just like Lindsay Lohan. Just like Lindsay Lohan. <laughs> just one of the versions of him has a British accent. Yeah. Exa- so exactly like Parent Trap. Yeah. It makes total sense. Yeah. Lane caught the tribe by surprise and he captured Menatonin, who informed him that it was actually Pemisipan who had double-crossed all of them. Whoa. Menatonin quickly gained Lane's trust by offering information about lucrative opportunities in the land that the English had not yet discovered. And also just because they kind of looked at each other and were like, wait, Pemisipan said what? He said what to you? And right. yeah, they just felt like double duped. Damn, Pemisipan. I like it. I like his style. <laughs> Sneaky. Name change, Annie is evil. <laughs> I fucking like it. However, this was also a trick. What? Yeah, triple cross. So many tricks. Lane, accompanied by 40 of his men, traveled about 100 miles straight into an ambush. Mm. The English had begun to earn the reputation as extremely hostile. Yeah. And the surrounding villages refused to help them or supply them with food. Good. Lane and his troops returned to the colony a few weeks later. They were starving and they were completely empty handed. Luckily, though, they were all alive. Well, at least there's that. But their pride, Nicole. <laughs> they lost their pride. And their cup. And their cup. The cup is gone. The cup. During their absence, rumors had spread that they had been killed, and Pemisipan had been preparing to withdraw from Roanoke and leave the colony to completely starve. I honestly don't blame him. A council elder and several other of Pemisipan's tribe were pro-English, and the shift in the balance of power deterred him from following through with his plans. Instead, he ordered his people to farm and fish with the colonizers and help them and, like, be cool. So, Pemisipan was the chief, right? Yes. Okay. And the, an elder was just like, hey, we should still be... Yeah. So, there was, like, he was the chief, and then there was a council of elders that, mm. like, sort of advised okay. him. And okay. this one elder was like, we should be friends with these people. Okay. Well, then that elder died. And Pemisipan was like cracking his knuckles and totally like, (laughs) yeah, he was just able to act on the plan that he previously had. And he left Roanoke with all of his people. He ordered all of his people to not sell any English food, to not sell any of the English food and leave them to survive completely on their own. Well... I don't blame him. Should have happened sooner, in my opinion. I feel like it's totally fair. Yeah. 100% fair. After the cup incident, I would have been like, you guys are on your own. It's a fucking cup, dude. (laughs) Like, take it down a notch. Ridiculous. The English had no way to produce enough food for the colony, so Lane ordered his men to break up into smaller groups and to start foraging and also beg for food from pretty much whoever they could come across. Hmm. In June, Pemisipan and his men attacked the colony, but he was captured and beheaded. Oh, no. 
His head was mounted on the wall of the fort as a warning. Damn, that's savage. It's very savage. About a week later, 23 ships arrived, led by Sir Francis Drake, and Lane thought that they would be saved. But a three-day hurricane struck, which ruined the ship that Drake had promised to leave for the colonists. Abruptly, Lane decided to completely abandon Roanoke. He loaded all of his men onto ships and returned to England. So all, so he's with Sir Francis, Sir Francis Drake now. Yeah, and, and just, he just like fucking dipped out of there, bailing hard. Yeah, okay. I mean, I don't blame him. Yeah, they're basically starving. Yeah, they got no help. Yeah, they burned all those bridges with the they cup. Literally burned all the fucking bridges <laughs> over a cup. Yeah, a relief mission arrived a few weeks later, only to find all of the settlers were gone. The same happened to Grenville, who, along with six ships and about two hundred colonists landed at Roanoke in July. After staying a few weeks, Grenville also left, leaving behind 15 soldiers with enough provisions to last a year. Okay, so he just leaves 15 of his men? Yeah, to kind of like hold down the fort, literally. Literally. He didn't leave them any cups, though, so that they could avoid the cup incident. Oh, okay, so Mm -hmm. they shouldn't be... They have no reason to kill anyone. No, because there's no cops. So they're just like, they're chill, you know? All right. After Lane decided to leave... Walter Raleigh, well, Sir Walter Raleigh. S-W-R, yes, if you will. Yes, If you're nasty. Please cut that. No, I'm leaving it. <laughs> Sir Walter Raleigh was the one who was given the grant by Queen Elizabeth, so he was not happy about Lane's decision to just leave. But Raleigh was super curious about the stories that they had brought back, especially the story of Chanis Tamoatan, where there was supposedly a lot of valuable copper to be mined and found. And also they said that through this area, it was a potential way to get to the Pacific Ocean, which, as we know from before, is basically why they went out there in the first place. That's so insane to me, though. Like, knowing what, like, America is like now, like, they land in the fucking east coast and they're (laughs) like yeah i think i can see the pacific ocean just take a little trail here and it should be right there yeah and then later on lewis and clark will be like you guys are not gonna (laughs) fucking believe this we've got stories for you girl (laughs) but it's it's just crazy to think about because they didn't know anything like they just like nothing when they discovered america they just blindly sailed yeah that's so crazy Walter Raleigh decided that he wanted to try one last expedition. And this time, he wanted artist John White to lead the way. His plan was to establish the city of Raleigh, which was supposed to be along the Chesapeake Bay. The native people were said to be more accepting of colonists here, and the waters, it was said, were easier to navigate. Right, because no one drank out of cups, so they were like, all these white dudes are cool, they just drink out of bowls, we got this. Yeah, or their hands. No yeah. cups are involved. No cups. It's a cup reason. <laughs> On May 8th, 1587, white, along with 100 colonists, and this time both men and women were involved. All previous times was just men. Sausage sailors. Sausage fuzz. So they set out for America. White brought along his pregnant daughter, Eleanor Dare, and her husband, Ananias Dare. Many of the settlers were also Puritans who were just looking for a place to practice their religion freely. How fucking insane would that be? Like, it's the 1500s. You're hella fucking pregnant. Mm. Your dad's like... 
let's get on this boat for a few months and go live in a strange land. And your husband's like, all right, let's go, dad. And you're like, what? And you totally hate it when your husband calls your dad dad because, like, he's not, he's not his dad. He's okay. Not his dad. He's your dad. So, like, why is he going to make it fucking weird and shit? And also, you're pregnant and you probably don't really want to no. go, but you have to go. Yeah. That sucks. So I feel for Eleanor here. I know. Me too. Because I mean, morning sickness on top of like oh seasickness. I didn't even think of it. So bad. Oh my God. I so would fucking bad. kill myself. Simon Fernandez went first on his ship, the Lion, Ooh. to Roanoke. And so his plan was basically just to check it, check in with the 15 men Grenville had left, and also to drop off Manteo. The ship arrived on July 22nd, but they did not find any of the 15 of Grenville's men. John White wrote, We found none of them, nor any sign that they had been there, saving only we found the bones of one of those 15, which the savages had slain long before. Oh, yikes on the S word there. Yeah. Yeah, but just yikes all over. Yikes all over on this one. On top of that, Fernandez decided that he was not letting White and his men come aboard to leave. So he told them that they should stay. His reasoning was, you should stay because the summer was was fair spent, whatever that means. Does it mean like almost over? Fair spent? I think it means that like the summers are really, really good. Oh, like you're going to love it. You're going to love it. You're going to fucking. Okay. Have you been here? Have you ever summered? Fucking love it. In in chesapeake bay i only summer in chesapeake bay. in the late 1500s only it's ridiculous it's fucking ridiculous. <laughs> he really just wanted to go back to the west indies to loot spanish ships and he couldn't do that with white and his men aboard <laughs> oh okay so, so that's that's the true reason ulterior here. motive he's like no 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 you're gonna love the fucking summers my dude you're gonna fucking love it and then he like goes to steal shit from the spirit right that's great that's how it went that's chill so white and his men stayed at roanoke even though they were originally supposed to be at chesapeake bay but fernandez was a dick and didn't want to take them further because he wanted to go loot some spanish ships so he was like peace out see you later we're done nicole is doing like the craziest hand motions right now but i feel like he did it he totally did did it it. he did the peace out thing started it yeah They were nervous, obviously, because of the 50 men who were killed by the natives. Obviously, the native people on this particular stretch of land did not welcome the colonists' presence. I mean, duh. Again, the cup thing. The cup. Yep. To put a cherry on top of it all, on July 28th, so just six days after they touched the shore, a man from their crew named George Howe, who was also John White's personal advisor was found dead in the woods about two miles away from where they were staying. Howe was found with 16 arrows in him and was also beat up pretty bad, and he was found dead. Three days later, White sailed from Roanoke Island to Croatoan Island and met with the Croatoans. Manteo, who is a friendly dude, he likes colonists, he's all about it. So Manteo and the Croatoans. Okay, also a great band name. Also a great band name. They were friendly with the settlers and they told John White that the 15 men that the 15 men and how had been killed by Wenchizi and the Roanokes. Their rival band. The rival <laughs> the rival band. <laughs> Battle of the bands. Yes, to the death. Totally. 
So remember when Cheesy was the guy that they brought to England, who right. later deserted them once they brought back, mm-hmm. you know, all that stuff. The Croatoans agreed that they would support the colonists, but only on one condition, and it was that they give their people a badge or something to wear to distinguish that they were the friendly ones. So the colonists and possibly future colonists that would come to settle would know not to fuck with them because they were cool. What do you think this like thing was that they gave them? I don't know. What what did they have a lot of back in the late 1500s? Uh, they probably like reached their hands into their pocket and they're like this handful of sand will <laughs> this rock. This this rock will signify our friendship between the British and the Croatoans. And then that was like friendship rock and that was super nice. What if they actually gave them bracelets though and that was the start friendship bracelets of the friendship oh, bracelet. Oh yeah, dude, and they did like that lanyard weave mm-hmm. on it that like we all did at summer camp. Yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. Oh, for sure. That's John what White they gave them. John White was heavy, heavy into making lanyards. He was an artist. He was. So, it I fits. <laughs> I like to think that yeah, it was definitely like friendship bracelets. Totally. White told the Croatoans to spread the word to the other groups of native people that they were interested in coming to a peace agreement, but they had to come forth within seven days. So they had to come to him within seven days in in agreements. Okay. Agreements. Agreements. That they, you know, wanted peace. Right. So there's a time limit on this. Right. So seven days go by. No one comes forward to talk peace. So Manteo and White and his men went across to the mainland and attacked a town of natives because that's how we solve our problems. Dude, again, this is a hard ass 180. Yep. Like, if you don't want peace, I will attack you. If you can't find my cup, I will fucking burn your crops. This is classic colonizer here. Classic colonizer. It was later found that the people that they had attacked and pillaged were, in fact, Croatoan people. Oh. And not Roanoke's at all. No. Which I feel like they should have checked before they decided to attack, but doesn't seem like they were the thorough types. No. So ego. Ultimately, the badge idea failed because the colonists were not able to see it in the dark. Okay, because they couldn't see the friendship bracelets. They couldn't see the the friendship bracelets. Yeah. It's so sad. So sad. Despite this little hiccup. Okay, well, hiccup is an understatement. I mean, they (laughs) killed the exact wrong people, but sure. Yeah, I mean. True. Manteo stayed loyal to the colonists and was even baptized into the Church of England and named the Lord of Roanoke and Dasa Monk Pook. So he really is assimilating here. He is straight up drinking the colonists' Kool-Aid. Fucking gross. Disgusting. Hold my hair. I'm going to throw up. (laughs) On August 18th, 1587, John White's daughter, Eleanor, gave birth to a daughter, who she named Virginia Dare, which honestly sounds like a comic book superhero, and I love it. Oh, totally. Virginia Dare is, like, giving me OG Captain America vibes. Right. Like, she's, like, the first baby, like, born in Virginia, named right. Virginia. Like, if Liberty Bell from Glow, you watch Glow, right? No. What? I don't watch Glow. Oh, my God. Okay, so it's, like, a women's wrestling show. Yeah, yeah. I've watched a couple episodes. I never got into it. Yeah, and there's, like, a character who has, like, this big, like, blonde southern hair and she's like i'm liberty bale well okay so if she and captain america had a baby it would be virginia dare virginia dare all day (laughs) and on august 21st fernandez was ready to make his way back to england and the colonists had to decide who would go with him so basically they had to decide who was gonna go 
and tell Walter Raleigh SWR. SWR about their status. And they also were shocker running out of supplies. Oh, which wow. Seems to be a theme like happening all the time. Like, did anyone even ever pack supplies I at this point? I don't think so. I don't think they did. No one volunteered for this mission. And instead, everyone just kind of voted and decided it was best that White go back with them. I don't think anyone really wanted to leave again because, like we said before, traveling by boat across the ocean was extremely dangerous at that time. And this isn't like a real statistic because this is just me speaking, but (laughs) I feel like you probably had about like a 50-50 chance of surviving the trek. Oh, for sure. Like transatlantic in the fucking late 1500s on a wooden boat. Right. (laughs) Like that seems super insane like now for sure. Yeah. But I will say, sailing back to England to tell someone something was probably, like, the most efficient way of communication. Oh, yeah. Like, otherwise, you send a letter, and then, like, four months later, they get it, and then they respond, and they write the letter, and it's, like, four months later, and then you write a response, and it's, like, basically, it took a whole year for a conversation to take place. Yeah. Or you can just fucking get the hell out of Roanoke, because, again, they're just out of tacos, and it's almost Tuesday. (laughs) And... You just go back to England and have the conversation in person. Yeah. And that's what they decided to do. So John reluctantly leaves the settlers, gets on the boat with Fernandez, and he sails back to England. At this time, Queen Elizabeth and Spain were not getting along and had quite a few battles at sea already. And also in the Netherlands, King Philip had had it with Elizabeth and the Spanish Armada was drawing near. Oh, shit. Queen Elizabeth had prohibited all English ships from leaving port just in case they needed them to fight the Spanish, which makes sense. She knew tensions were, you know, yeah, it was going to happen. Right. Sir Walter Raleigh was able to send two ships on a relief mission to Roanoke on April 22nd, 1588, because these two ships were deemed unsuitable for combat. So this would be just three months before the Spanish Armada actually happens. Oh, wow. While at sea, these two ships were met by French pirates who raided the ships of all the supplies meant for the Roanoke group and murdered half the crew. The ship sadly had to turn around and head back to England Bonjour, you stupid English people. Give us all your cheese and we will kill all your men. No, please, please. We didn't steal any cops. <laughs> we don't care about your cops. Bonsoir, bitch. And that was a direct quote from what happened between the French pirates. Captain's log. Okay. <laughs> that was real. Due to the Spanish Armada, which happened just three months later... White was not able to secure another trip to go back to the Roanoke colony until 1590. Holy shit. The ship he was able to get on was actually a privateering expedition, and their goal was to raid Spanish outposts in the Caribbean. Okay. So White was just along for the ride, and the plan was that two out of the six ships would break apart from the pack, and they'd go drop him off. So no supplies or anything were sent to the colonists it's just john returning probably just because these were his people and he had been away from them for years (laughs) sure like it's me john three years later 
Oh, uh, no, I didn't bring anything, but I'm here and I know you miss me. How are you guys doing with the the no supply situation? How's that going for you guys? Yeah, I did get highlights. I just thought, you know what? It's summer. <laughs> like, let's just do this. Am I right? Well, it was summer. And on August 18th, 1590, White and the crew landed on Roanoke Island. And it was actually his granddaughter, Virginia's third birthday. This is absolutely insane. Three years later. Three years later. Also, she's a Leo. Oh, she is a Leo. So they find tracks in the sand, but they can't find any of the colonists in sight. They found the letters CRO carved on a tree. And when they walked further into the site, they spotted the word Croatoan carved onto another tree. White believed that this message meant that the colonists had gone to live with the Croatoans on Croatoan Island. He did not believe that they were in any danger as they had actually made a plan that if they needed to relocate, they would communicate so by carving the destination onto a tree. They also made a plan that if they were in duress in any way, they would leave an indicator of a cross to show that they were in trouble and no cross was found carved into anything. Well, my grandma always says, if we ain't carving crosses, then there be no losses. Does she really say that? She's, yes, she says it. She's, okay. If you go to www.stuffnoelsgrandmasays.com backslash Roanoke Colony, you will see all the things she has to say about Roanoke. Oh, she said a lot about Mm -hmm. Roanoke? She's got a lot of sayings about Roanoke. Mm, Okay, well. So so they find Croatoan carved into a tree. And they don't find this cross that they agreed would mean that there's some trouble happening. Right. Okay. So there's no trouble, we can assume. We can assume that. Yeah. Within the site, they found that houses had been taken down and really anything of value that could be carried had been taken as well. White had a couple of trunks that he had left and those had been looted. And also none of their boats were at the site at all. Okay. So everything was... Gone, basically, of value. Right. Thinking they had packed up and left to go live on Croatoan Island, where the people were welcoming and friendly. They're the friendship bracelets. Oh, yeah. All about friendship. Oh, but they got murdered, so. Yeah, but they were, like, cool with that. Oh, like, totally fine. Yeah, it was was fine. White and the crew, they make a plan to sail to the island on the following day, but the ship's anchor cable had snapped and it was just too risky to set sail again. Okay, so you leave to get supplies and reinforcements three fucking years ago. (laughs) Yes. And when you return, everything and everyone is missing. Yeah. But you're all, oh, our anchor's broken, which I read they had two anchors and one was fine. Yeah, one was fine. But one is broken. He's like, Mm. oh, that was my favorite anchor. (laughs) Let's not look for the family I haven't seen in three years. Let's just fucking leave. Mm-hmm. That's kind of sh- shit. Right. Yeah. That's kind of shit. I mean, I feel like you could have like probably paddled over there if you really wanted to. Like if you wanted you to, really wanted to, you would have gone to there. Yeah. yeah. I also read that during the time it was also hurricane season and the weather was not suitable for them to be sailing either. So... I guess there was like a lot of reasons. I, it just, but yeah, it seems yeah seems a little I don't know, suspicious. Not buying it. So knowing all this, they made a plan that they would spend the winter in the Caribbean and then return in the spring of 1591. But their plan was thrown off course. 
literally. Oh, sick pun. Joke? Joke pun. Joke pun. Cool. Pun joke? Pun joke. Mm. Their ship was blown off course, and they had to instead sail back to England. All right. I'm fucking calling it. This shit is a straight up cop out. <laughs> John was like ready to live that bachelor lifestyle. And this was his chance to completely live his family behind. I'm... He's like, oh, no, we accidentally went off course when I steered the ship off course. If he wanted to, he could have found them. He it could have just... went to Croatoan Island. It just seems convenient. Yeah. So in the end, John White would never see his daughter, his granddaughter, and the rest of his colonists ever again. You know what? I think he did see them again. I think that they were waving just off the shore on Croatoan. And he was like, oh, no, I don't see them anywhere. But his wife was like, John, darling, it's me. And he's just like, it's too risky to look for my family. They're gone forever. And he's like shouting over his wife being like, John. And his granddaughter's like, Papa John. Or whatever the fuck. That's where Papa John got started. Uh, But he was just like, oh, where are they? And he just conveniently didn't fucking He's see like them or look for them. pushing everyone back under the boat. There's no one's here. They're like across the water screaming yeah. at him. John, isn't that your... No, they're dead probably. That's not them. Goodbye, family. <laughs> Obviously, while John White didn't even look for his family or the other colonists, he did write a report to send to SWR mm. stating that he prob- that they probably all relocated and are probably alive and totally fine. <laughs> But he's just not going to go for it. <laughs> no. They're probably fine. I don't know. But they're probably fine. SWR was totally fine. Can I just keep calling him SWR? Please do. SWR was totally fine with this. Because if they had colonists that were, I'm going to say, quote, unquote, alive. Alive. He could maintain claim to Virginia. So he was totally down with this plan. He okay. like... Like, him and John high-fived, and they're like, they're alive. But I didn't look for them. (laughs) But we don't really know. In a very shifty move, a petition was made to declare Ananias Dare legally dead so that his son, John Dare, could inherit his estate. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait, so he's saying that everyone's alive, but he's also saying that his daughter's husband is dead, but he doesn't know? Yes. So basically everyone survived to benefit SWR (laughs) except this one guy because that didn't benefit his son. So he's super dead. And like he knows for a fact that he's dead. Okay. Fucking eye roll. (laughs) Well, I mean, it seems to fit the uh, personality of the colonists back in the day. (laughs) Dude, no shit. In 1595, SWR once again sailed... Sorry. Sir Walter Raleigh once again sailed to North America and he claimed to be in search of the lost colonists. Although he would later admit that this was a complete lie to cover his search for El Dorado, which we all know totally exists. Is that the Golden City? Yeah. From the Disney movie. <laughs> yes. I saw that movie in theaters, actually. Did I remember you? It. That is straight up one of my favorite cartoon movies. I don't think I've seen it since I saw it in theaters for one of my friend's birthday parties. Okay, well, I'm going to give you the DVD on your way out so you can watch it later. I'm not going to watch it. <laughs> so good. <laughs> 
On the return voyage, he sailed past the Outer Banks, and he later claimed that weather prevented him from landing, even though he was like 50 miles from potentially his family. Well, they're, they're always blaming weather. It's either weather or a lost cup with these guys. It's simply too nice of a day <laughs> to stop. He just, he felt like it was too nice. The wind was blowing well, perfectly. Um, he just, he didn't want to be interrupted. You know what I mean? Yeah, sure. SWR later sought to enforce his monopoly on Virginia based on the potential survival of the Roanoke colonists. He funded a mission in 1602 to the Outer Banks, and he stated that the goal was resuming the search to was resuming the search for the colonists and to legitimize his claim. So this is how many years now? Six years later? Mm, yeah, 1590 was when Raleigh went back. Okay, so this is like fucking forever ago. And he's yeah. like, oh no, someone wants Virginia. Uh, we're just, we were just about to send people to look for those colonists we know are totally alive. So yeah, 12 years since That's Walter Raleigh came back. Unreal. This was led by a man called Samuel Mace. This expedition differed from previous voyages in that Raleigh brought his own ship and he guaranteed the sailors' wages himself so that they would not be distracted by privateering or pirating. So his mission was to find the colonists. Or was no. he lying again? He lied again. And the <laughs> ship's itinerary, like they literally wrote a fucking like proof of this. On the itinerary and the manifest show that Raleigh's top priority was harvesting sassafras, which is, I guess, a fucking plant. I didn't know that that was a real thing. I didn't know it was real either. I always thought it was like a cartoon thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he, it, I guess it's real. And Raleigh, that was his top priority to <laughs> harvest fucking sassafras, which okay. might be made up if we're being honest. Yeah. I've never seen it. Far south of the Croatoan Island. By the time Mace approached the area, bad weather conveniently prevented them <laughs> from lingering in that area. In 1603, SWR was accused of and arrested for treason against King James. What? In, for lying. Oh. So Elizabeth is no longer in control. No, now it's King James, okay. the Bible guy. England's number one Bible salesman. <laughs> I think is how that works. That's his, yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think that's right. It's on his business card. Yeah. So this effectively ended SWR's Virginia charter and kind of shut down his whole bullshit story of like everything. Well, I mean, he's a straight up liar about everything. So there was actually one final expedition, though, in 1603, led by Bartholomew Gilbert or Barty Gill, as he liked to be called. <laughs> Barty Gill. And this expedition had the actual like legitimate intention of finding the roanoke colonists so it's not a lie this one was real like okay. barty gill was a straight shooter <laughs> okay and he was actually looking for these people okay their intended destination was chesapeake bay but this time for real bad weather forced them to land at an unspecified location near there okay the landing team including gilbert himself was killed by a group of native americans oh, no. Pretty much the moment that they left the ship. Okay. The remaining crew noped out of there and they were <laughs> they were just like, fuck this shit. And they returned to England empty handed. Oh, well, I don't blame them. So it's been like 20 years now. And at this time, no one has tried very hard to find this lost colony or any of these people. Yeah. So they're just kind of on their own right now. Well, I mean, they have been for 20 years. For 20 fucking years. <laughs> 
1607, after the establishment of the Jamestown settlement, one of the residents, John Smith of Pocahontas mm, fame, yes, was captured by the Powhatan people, who were the Native American tribe in the area. It was while he was being held hostage that the chief told John Smith of Pocahontas fame about the place <laughs> about a place nearby where men wore European style clothing and people lived in two story walled houses. I just want to say that Disney is coming up a lot in this episode, and I'm not sure why, because I am not a big Disney fan. I'm, I'm not a Disney girl. We're not Disney girls. Um, Like, I don't not like Disney, but I'm not a Disney girl. I feel like being a Disney girl and being a spooky girl is kind of contradicting. They don't really go hand in hand. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, Disney's like cool and whatever. I'm not going to shit on Disney, but... no. I'm not, like, dressing up as a princess and, like, going to parties and stuff. Right. Pretending I'm I'm Cinderella. Right. Right? I'm not, like, moonlighting as Cinderella and then, like, daylighting as a fucking witch or some shit. Yeah, yeah, daylighting as a spooky podcast host. (laughs) Yeah. So that's not my... That's not two sides of that coin. Um, Although I'll put this out there. Shout out to any of our listeners that are Disney girls and also love true crime and murder and spookies. How do you maintain that lie? I just want to know. <laughs> you love Disney, but you also love murder and ghosts. Yes. I guess. I guess. Like, do you hope one day Minnie murders Mickey? Because I kind of do. Does that make me a Disney girl? That would be a sick plot twist. I'm here for it. So here for it. Yeah. But seriously, I just want to know. Like, is are do those people exist? I just. Maybe. Maybe they do. I don't know. Okay. Not well, for me, but maybe they do. Well. All right. Well, later when John Smith of Pocahontas fame returned to his colony, he made arrangements with a neighboring tribe to investigate the area with these supposed European people. He was given a crude map with a place called Pakrakanak with a note indicating, Here remaineth four men clothed that came from Runacock. So the way I'm reading this, it's spelled insanely, but I think it's a misspelling of Roanoke. It kind of looks like it is, but it's not <laughs> close at all. John Smith was, I mean, he didn't know anything. Pocahontas was the one that knew everything. Let's That's be honest. That's true. Runicock. <laughs> the fall- we'll go with it, John. It's fine. Um, you know what? Sure. The following summer, John Smith of Pocahontas fame sent the map and the letter back to England. Smith wanted to explore the strange rumors, but he was unable to at the fullest extent because of an argument he had with a neighboring tribe. Or probably over like a cup or something. Definitely over a cup. When he was able to send out two search parties, they were tasked with finding out more information, but neither of them turned up anything. They couldn't find any of these two-story walled houses or people dressing like Europeans. Did they search Croatoan Island? They probably <laughs> fucking didn't. The weather was bad, so they just... Yeah, they and just... And the captain lost his cup, so it was just like... Ugh. I just like I don't feel good. My stomach hurts. Okay, I can't find my favorite cup. Can't find my cup. Yeah. So they just they didn't find anything. Mm. In May of 1609, word had finally reached England's Royal Council for Virginia that the 1587 colonists had been massacred by the natives in the area. The okay. source of this allegation is completely unknown. 
But John Smith of Pocahontas fame stopped investigating completely. So it sounds like that captain who had lost his cup and was just so upset about it had just started that rumor so then he didn't have to go so he could stay and look for his cup. Honestly, I feel like you're fucking onto something. It's got to be. Like full on conspiracy corner here. (laughs) That man only cared about two things. One, his cup. Mm -hmm. Two, having his cup. (laughs) And three, drinking out of his cup. His favorite fucking silver cup. In 1701, a man called John Lawson went on an expedition of Hatteras Island, which is an inlet area that now connects the island of Croatoan to another nearby island. So there was like a bunch of boat traffic before in like the 15, late 1500s, Uh early 1600s that kept the inland open. But since there was no more boat traffic, it sort of filled in with sand. Oh, interesting. Okay. John Lawson was impressed with the influence of the English culture on the island of Haradas and the people there. He said that they spoke English. They sort of dressed English. They were more like Anglicized, I guess. So it seems like they might have had some colonist influence. Yes. Okay. Specifically, these people reported that several of their ancestors had been white Englishmen. Some of the people had gray eyes or blue eyes, which also he felt supported that claim. Lawson theorized that members of the 1587 colony had assimilated into this community after they lost hope of regaining contact with England, which makes total sense to me. Right. I mean, they had nothing else to do besides go to the people that were friendly with them and be like, hey, we need help. Right. I think so. And I know that like, I don't know, I always felt like it was this huge mystery like the lost colony of roanoke Mm -hmm. you know we'll get into the whole i mean it just kind of seems like a bunch of laziness though now yeah it doesn't (laughs) seem like anyone tried very hard no one tried like were they lost or did no one just care about them Mm, no one cared yeah while visiting the roanoke island himself john lawson reported finding the remains of a fort as well as some english coins some firearms and a powder horn but nothing that he deemed concrete was actually found interesting okay well i want to talk about some modern day research because it seems like nobody back in the day really cared about finding the colony but (laughs) the weather was so bad back in the day bad so many missing cups it was just like who was the time But now everyone's super concerned about what happened with these people. I'm holding a cup right now. I know where my cup is and I'm ready to find these people. In 1993, Hurricane Emily wreaked havoc on North Carolina, but it also uncovered a bunch of Native American artifacts along the Cape Creek. Oh, wow. This led anthropologist David Sutton Phelps Jr. No relation to Michael. That's his son. (laughs) I mean, it could be. (laughs) So he organized an excavation in 1995. In 1998, Phelps and his crew found a gold signet ring, which is a ring used to make an impression in wax or paper. So kind of like a wax seal type of thing. Yeah. People would get them of like their family crest or like their name because they couldn't sign their name. So they would dip it in wax or in ink and then they would use it as like a stamp sort of. Why did we ever get rid of that? They're coming back. 
I don't, I hate my signature. They're I would so, much rather just wear a ring. I could just press into stuff. Dude, they're everywhere now. Everyone was super pumped about this discovery, thinking that it was proof that the Roanoke colony did survive and go to live with the natives. Phelps, however, did not publish his findings, and he never actually had the ring properly tested. That seems really suspicious to me. Right? You're an anthropologist. This is, like, what you're supposed to do. Yeah, like, he found all this cool stuff and then, like, got busy or lazy and decided to just, like, abandon it? Yeah, it's not really clear why that wasn't properly done, but in 2017, the ring was x-rayed and it was discovered that the ring was not gold at all, but was actually just brass. They could not conclude that this particular ring had anything to do with the Roanoke colony, and it in fact could have been brought over at a later time and could have just been traded to the native people by somebody in the area. Oh, maybe he sort of knew that. I'm just, I don't know, I'm just guessing here, but maybe Phelps was like, well, it's right. probably actually nothing. It's like not conclusive, so he just kind of left it out. Yeah, and then like took up swimming. <laughs> and then passed it on to his great, great, well, actually. It his was son. the 90s, yeah, so just a bit of an son. <laughs> it could have also been from the Lane Colony, because as we know, the Lane Colony was there before. And, right. I mean, it was all men, but they still could have had this ring. So they kind of just deemed the find inconclusive. Makes sense. What would have made the find conclusive would have been if they had found female remains at the site. So since the Lane Colony was all men, finding female remains would suggest that they had been from the Rona colony because the two prior expeditions included no females. Right. However, no female remains had been found in any of the sites related to the colony. But just because no female remains were found doesn't mean that they weren't ever there. The shore of Roanoke Island, where the Lane and White colonies made their village, lost about 928 feet between 1851 in 1970 due to something called shoreline erosion. So evidence could have been there. It's just now completely washed away and somewhere forever lost in the ocean. I also saw that. I watched this like really weird short history channel clip where they think that the real location of the colony basically sunk into the ocean like Atlanta style, but not as cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like it eroded into the ocean. And it's just under like sand and silt and stuff. So it's never actually going to be found. Yeah. I mean, and it's extremely possible. In November of 2011, researchers from the First Colony Foundation noticed some Nick Cage national treasure shit on White's <laughs> 1985 map, La Virginie Pars. Oh, why did you know what? Why don't they just hire Nick Cage to find it? He's a national treasure. They should. Yeah. He'll find it. Maybe that's the next movie that's going to come out. He found Mandy. (laughs) He'll find this. They believed what they found were two corrections to the map. So the British Museum examined the map on a light table, Nick Cage National Treasure style, and they found one corrective patch. And this patch covered a symbol that was a symbol used to represent a fort. And it represented kind of like an area of land. Thousands of acres wide in what is now Birdie County, North Carolina. So in 2012, archaeologist Nicholas Lachetti named this area that they found, this sort of hidden area, he named it Site X, and they planned to excavate and see what they could find. Site X? 
Sight X. Yes, that sounds so cool. I right? just picture him like throwing his arms up and being like, Sight X. <laughs> In 2017, they announced that they had found fragments of Tudor pottery and European weapons at the site. They came to the conclusion that these findings showed that a group of European settlers had lived within the area. The problem with this is kind of the same problem that they had with the ring, though. And it was that no one could tell if these were from the Lane Colony or if they had been items just traded to Native people and they were just using them. Right. Because in the nine, because actually in the 1650s, a man named Nathaniel Batts had a trading post near the area as well. Nathaniel Batts is the most British name I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> In 1998, climatologist, which I didn't know that was a word, but apparently it is, (laughs) and climatologist David W. Stahl and archaeologist David B. Blanton. They call themselves the Double Daves, partners in climatology. (laughs) Double Daves discovered that growing conditions between 1587 and 1589 were just complete shit. So this was the these were the years in which the colonists were in the area. They discovered this by studying the growth of rings of bald cypress trees, and they came to the conclusion that 1587 was the worst growing season in the 800 years that they tested for. So the possibility that the colonists had just starved because they couldn't grow anything is very plausible. That makes total sense. Right. In 2005, computer scientist Roberta Estes became interested in finding a genetic link between colonists and Native American descendants. So her idea was to test the Y chromosome and mitochondrial DNA, but in order to do this, you have to have a comparison point. So you'd either need remains from someone from the lost colony or you need one of their descendants. This theory is a good idea, but since there have been no remains found that are thought to be from the Lost Colony, and the fact that they have yet to identify any living descendants, the project is just sort of at a standstill at the moment. I can only imagine how hard that would be to find living descendants. Right. I mean, that was like, what, 400 years ago? Yeah. That's insane. How do you know? Have you ever gotten your ancestry DNA? Fuck no, I'm not giving that shit to Ancestry.com so they can sell it. Okay, well, I have, and mine... Sucker. <laughs> well, my dad's side of the family, um, it came up as early settlers of Illinois. Really? Yeah, so I guess they can figure that out somehow, but even if you are an early settler, what's to say that you were from, like, the first settlers rather than, like, the 1700s or, like, 1600s, you know? What if all that shit is, like shit like what if it's all fucking made up and people are like yeah i'm like one eighth percent um right. mongolian because like have you heard of genghis khan i call him uncle well Gengi. it changes though um what do you mean like um ancestry they update so as their technology gets better mm-hmm. they'll update your results so when i first got mine it said uh, i mean i'm mostly Irish. That's like what I was. And then I got like an email or something and it was like, oh, um, our technology has gotten better. So we've updated your results. So I went in and I looked. It also said I was part uh, European Jewish, which I have never heard that in my life. So that was like a huge shock to me. It was like, 
it was really low though it was like th- like two or three percent yeah but then once they had updated everything they like deleted that off of my results and they were like actually you're just more irish than we thought you were so oh, like wow. my irish percentage went up and then yeah. like all of the little things like went away then like the next update is like they just mail you a potato and they're like we were wrong <laughs> the whole time you are ireland you were just irish you are ireland <laughs> yeah no i mean my mom is she's primarily italian my dad's primarily Irish, so. Oh, yeah. It's just a fun time being me. I'm just angry and loud all the time. <laughs> well, I'm Polish and Austrian, if anyone was wondering. Oh. So I'm just persecuted. <laughs> <laughs> That's also why I do a fantastic German accent. You do do a very fantastic German accent. mein Fräulein. It was amazing. It seems like the... I'm going to scare quote this truth mm-hmm. about what happened to the lost colony of Roanoke is dependent on who you ask. Mm-hmm. And if, I mean, people seem very, very passionate about their personal hypotheses. Right. Like I <laughs> don't go on Reddit if you want facts. Okay. Do we ever, we've spoken about this before. It's just fun though. It's so fun. Oh man. People get aggressive yeah. and a V popular. I'm so sorry. A very popular theory is that the colonists decided to just like, fucking dip out of there and sail back to England themselves when they realized that no one was coming to help them because it had been two and a half years right? and John's wife was like waiting at the window waiting for her husband to come back from England mm-hmm. and her kids had to be like mom that's not coming back okay <laughs> gone forever so they had a small sailboat that was left behind we don't mm-hmm. know exactly how big this boat was but mm-hmm. They think that it would have been large enough to sail back to England. Okay, if they had the uh, the balls to do it. Yeah, which it seems like everyone was just hopping on boats to go wherever the fuck they wanted <laughs> back then, so sure. The boat had been left behind from the 1587 expedition. So, again, they think that they could have used that. Mm-hmm. They could have also built another ship either out of parts from this existing ship mm-hmm. and, like, wood that they took from the area or whatever to help carry colonists that would have not fit on the other boat or, you know what I mean? Just like make a better seafaring vessel. Right. And I'm thinking perhaps that's why the fort and the houses were dismantled. Oh, that's an interesting theory. You know, maybe like they use that already milled wood to make a boat. Maybe. It would have been tough for them to cross the Atlantic ocean in such small vessels, but it had been done before. So that's always a possibility. I read about like a a shipwreck that happened and they took Mm -hmm. a small boat. It was, I think, from Spain, maybe. I don't know. I'm just riffing here. Um, (laughs) But it was like the early 1600s and they sailed all the way back to Spain and they were almost in America. Oh, I'm sure that people did that all the time. But I'm sure that a greater percentage of people probably tried to do that and died. Right. That's another theory is that they hopped on this boat and then they just died in a storm or something Mm, wow yeah that would explain why no bodies were ever found and then the boat was also missing i mean if they you know built this boat or whatever and they left and then everyone drowned at sea there would be no evidence so you just don't know very true anthropologist lee miller proposed that simon fernandez if you remember from earlier in our story Mm -hmm. and two other people participated in a conspiracy to maroon the 1587 colonists at Roanoke. 
The purpose of this plot was to undermine SWR, whose activities supposedly interfered with a plan to stop England from becoming a Protestant world power at the expense of Spain and and the other Catholic nations. So they thought that Sir Walter SWR... Sir Walter Raleigh, yeah. (laughs) Was trying to stop England from becoming Protestant and actually wanted them to be Catholic? No, he wanted England to be Protestant, Sir Walter Raleigh. You have that backwards. And then Fernandez was like, no, no, I'm working for Spain. Mm. We're going to just shut this down. Got it. Okay. This conspiracy would have prevented Raleigh and White from dispatching a relief mission. Lee Miller also suggested that the colonists may have been separatists seeking religious freedom in North America from England. Yeah, that's what I found, too, that they wanted the Puritans, basically. That makes sense to me. It does. Lee Miller believes that the colonists split up with small groups relocating to Croatoan, while the main group sought shelter with another Native American tribe called the Chowanoke. However, the colonists would quickly spread European diseases amongst their hosts, which would decimate the native populations and thereby destabilizing the balance of power in the region. From there, Lee Miller reasoned that the Native Americans that lived amongst the Europeans were probably attacked by other Native American tribes. Because they were with... Because their numbers were so low from being killed by smallpox. Got it. With the survivors being taken captive by the Mandoag, a powerful nation to the west that the Jamestown colonists only knew from vague accounts of their neighbors, and they concluded that the Mandoag were actually called the Eno. So this is like two names of the same tribe, basically. Okay. They traded the remaining lost colonists as slaves until they were dispersed throughout the region and sort of just like broken up like one person per tribe as a slave, basically. This next theory is super fun, and it's totally my favorite. (laughs) In 1937, a writer called Paul Green was doing research for a drama play he was writing about the lost colony of Roanoke when he noticed that the Spanish records from the time contained tons and tons of references to SWR and his settlements. Green cryptically ends his play with the colonists of Roanoke fleeing to escape the approaching Spanish ships, but he does not conclude if the colonists got away, which is super fun. We do definitively know that Spanish forces knew of the English plans to establish a new Virginia base in 1587. And they were searching for it before White's colonists had even arrived. Oh, so they were already looking for. Yeah, because they had taken up Puerto Rico as a base. Oh, okay. The Spanish Empire had included most of North America in their Florida claim. And they just refused to recognize England's right to colonize Roanoke or Chesapeake Bay. The colonists likely recognized the threat that this represented, giving the Spanish sack of Fort Caroline in 1565. So they already had a feeling that this might happen. Okay. However, the Spanish were still attempting to locate the colony in Chesapeake Bay as late as 1600. So this suggests that they just have no idea what happened and... They never found anyone. Yeah. Just kind of like the English never found anyone. Yeah. <laughs> Conveniently, no one found anyone. No one found anyone. In 2006, writer Scott Dawson proposed that an oak tree on Hatteras Island, which had been inscribed 
which had the inscription that reads C-O-R-A, might be connected to the lost colony. Scott Dawson believed that the inscription might represent another message from the colonists, similar, similar to Croatoan. If so, C-O-R-A, or I guess Cora, mm-hmm. might indicate that the colonists left Croatoan Island to settle with the Cori people oh. on the mainland. A 2009 study to verify the age of the Cora tree was inconclusive. Damage to the tree caused by lightning and decay had made it impossible to obtain a valid core sample for tree ring dating. Mm. Even if the tree dates back to the 16th century, though, establishing the age of the inscription would pretty much be impossible. Yeah. Also, I just want to put this out there. Maybe they started carving Croatoan onto a tree and then they realized that they spelled it wrong. So they just like totally moved on to another that's tree. What, that's what I was going to say because they also wrote C-R-O and then they stopped and then they went to another one. Yeah. And then they wrote Croatoan. It was yeah. like whoever was doing it was like, wait, C-R-O, like, you know, like sounding yeah. out as he mm-hmm. did it. He had like no idea. Yeah. Yeah. That's honestly, that's what I think. I do want to bring up one thing. Also, because this article that I read actually kind of brought me to want to do this as a topic for our podcast because it's a super new article and it just came out and there's this guy and he thinks he knows exactly. Actually, Scott Dawson, who just talked about, Mm -hmm. he thinks he knows what happened. So it comes from a website called the Greensboro News and Record, and it's a man, Scott Dawson, who you just mentioned. Right. He, so he's researched this topic, you know, he even dug up artifacts, says he believes that the colonists did, in fact, go to live with their friends, the Croatoans. So Scott and his wife, Maggie, formed the Croatoan Archaeological Society and started to dig, and they have found artifacts four to six feet deep below the surface that they believe show that the colonists lived peacefully with the native americans oh wow okay so it's pretty far underground too yeah and he even he has this whole book that he wrote about it about why he believes that this hypothesis is true yeah so they found parts of swords they found guns that are in the same layer as native american pottery and arrowheads on hatteras island which is also kind of like Croatoan Island. Right. They're like connected at this point. Right. In his book, he says that a century after the lost colony, a man named John Lawson claimed that he found natives with blue eyes. Like you right, said, which we spoke about. they claimed that their ancestors could speak out of a book. They found English earrings that had, had been made into fish hooks and gun barrels that they had sharpened the ends of that they think were used to tap tar from trees. Oh, wow. They also found a flower-shaped clothing pin that they believed belonged to a woman, obviously, because it's a flower. So Dawson believes that this is proof that it was a lost colony because as this was the only colony that had women, I don't see any men really carrying a flower pin. I mean, I guess unless it was his wife's and he brought it. But the fact that there's earrings and flower pins kind of shows that there were women. There were women there. Yeah, I don't know. I just kind of thought that was interesting and i should bring it up that's awesome that makes total sense to me right yeah i mean then that's like i found the article and it was like we finally know what happens to the or what happened to the lost colony and i was like oh i'm so into this yeah and then i obviously clicked on it and i was like we need to do this for the podcast and then we did and then we did oh 
have you ever heard of the dare stones no okay well there's a series of stones that they call the dare stones after like virginia dare oh the daughter um and these have inscribed messages on them they were supposedly written by the members of the lost roanoke colony Uh uh-huh and they think it's virginia or eleanor dare so that's why they call them this okay the first one was found in 1937 by a man named Lewis Hammond. He claimed to have found them near the river. The stone made a reference to a mass grave, and then it prompted a huge search for lost colonists, but no one was ever found. Hmm. 47 additional stones were found, but every one of them was so completely different from this original one mm-hmm. that they think that they might be fakes. Really? Yeah, the first stone is thought to be authentic. Um, it's written in Old English, but I found a translation that I want to read for you. Okay, I was just going to say, what do they say? So on this first stone, which it says, I mean, it's called a stone, but it's a giant ass rock. Okay, right. so. So it's like a tombstone kind of. Yeah, sort of. So on this very first one that was found, it says, Virginia went to heaven, 1591. Any Englishman show this rock to John White, governor of Virginia. So does that mean that the baby Virginia died in 1591? Yeah, that's what it sounds like. (gasps) She would have been four. Well, the back of it reads, Father, soon after you go for England, we came here. Only misery and war two years. Above half dead these two years, more from sickness being 24. A savage with a message of a ship came to us with a small space of time. They began frightening. They became frightened of revenge and ran all away. We believe it was not you. Soon after the savages said spirits were angry. Suddenly they murdered all except seven. My child and Ananias too were slain, but much misery. Buried near four miles east of this river, upon a small hill, names were written were written all there on a rock. Put this there also. If a savage shows this to you, we promise you would give them great plenty presents. E-W-D. So that's Eleanor, obviously. Yeah, the inscription was interpreted as a message from Eleanor White Dare. Yeah. John Dare's daughter. Right. E-W-D. This supposedly provided an update on the state of the lost colonists to her father, John White which seems legit, right? Yeah. So after this first stone was found, they put out a reward, like the local government and paper and whatever, for $500 per stone, which is like almost $9,000 now in today's money. Okay. And then they got 47 additional stones. But they think every single one is fake. They all look completely different and they're just, they're all different. But people wanted money, you know? Right. So there's this dare stone out there, but it's hard to authenticate and people just don't know if it's real or not. But if it is, I mean, I guess it makes a lot of sense. If it is, it sounds like they were all killed. I mean, I don't blame if that's what actually happened. I don't blame the Crotones for doing that. Yeah. But in my mind, I would have liked to believe that they all lived happily ever after, like on this island and, you know, they... yeah assimilated both of their cultures together and grew into this you know but 
I don't think that happened. I feel like I would like to think it was a mixture of both. It's like some of like the Europeans were like fucking assholes and they're like, yeah. no, this is our land or whatever. Well, everyone that came before that group, I mean, yeah. that group was just kind of screwed because of all of the shit that the peop- the two exhibitions before them like, right. just came and tarnished the name yeah. of Oconist. Yeah. But maybe some did survive. I mean, there were those Native mm. Americans with like blue eyes and stuff. So they said that their ancestors were white and read yeah. books. and Say there was... A Romeo and Juliet situation mm-hmm. where like one of the Croatoans loved one of the colonists. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I could see that, but like probably only one. They probably killed the rest of them. Yeah, I'm here for that. <laughs> and I don't blame them for no, doing it. No, for sure. Or, I mean, you know, I mean, a lot of them probably starved too, if we're being honest, like of this, of the Roanoke people, if there were like a hundred of them. Oh, totally. What are the chances that? some that none of them starved oh yeah yeah for sure we have a a listener lore from somebody from virginia don't we he's a history teacher in virginia yeah because he schooled us on the history Uh uh-huh of virginia and west virginia this is our friend ryan so it's so fitting to read his story that's perfect okay so here is our listener lore from teacher ryan from virginia he says hey girls ryan here follower on instagram i had mentioned to noel that i had local lore story to share from the island of smiles thailand oh cool so i traveled to thailand a number of times and made some local friends i was visiting a friend in i'm gonna attempt to say all these thai words and i'm so sorry if i offend anyone he'll message us and tell us that we said he, it wrong. he absolutely will <laughs> I was visiting a friend in Chiang Mai, a city in northern Thailand, when a friend of mine mentioned this local legend slash ghost story about a housing development who was so haunted it was abandoned. Now, to understand the story, you have to understand that the Thai people are very superstitious. It is a predominantly Buddhist nation with with very specific rules on how and where to build your house to keep evil spirits away from your family. The land that La La Land was built on had apparently been vacant for generations because before building a home, families would consult local monks who would tell them not to build on this land because it was, quote, tainted land. Whoa. Sometime in the early 80s, the specific date varies depending on who you ask, a development company bought the land, consulted month, monks, and then went on to ignore the monks because the land was in such a pristine area. So the monks told them not to build here, and they did anyways. But they did. Mm. So during construction, it is said that around 35 to 40 construction workers died while building the homes, and another 200 quit on the job after they or family members became ill. After nearly three years, the development was completed and families began to move in. The first event known to have happened was a local Thai woman was stabbed multiple times and her body was hidden in the refrigerator of her home. Oh. Well, she was a maid at this home. So she didn't even live there. No. Wow. She was a maid for a foreign businessman who owned the house. Her death was said to have been anywhere from 12 days to 19 hours from the time that her body was discovered. The reason for the lapse in time is because people claim to have seen her watering the garden as early as the day before. I just got goosebumps. She was discovered by another maid who lived close and had grown that had grown concerned. 
They would speak on a daily basis, but even though she had attempted conversation for a few days when she saw the maid outside watering, she would never speak back to her. Just stare at her and walk back inside, which was completely unlike her friend. The businessman was questioned, but it seemed pretty clear that he wasn't even in the country at the time. The guards at the front said nobody who did not live in La La Land visited during this time, and nothing was captured on the property's CCTV cameras. The second occurrence happened to a family living in the development. The family consisted of a husband, wife, daughter, and the husband's mother, who was wheelchair-bound. Neighbors noticed the man being verbally abusive towards his wife and daughter, and they would see bruises on them from time to, hi- from time, to time. However, nobody reported the crime because in Thai culture, you just you don't report this sort of thing. Yeah. It is said that nobody liked the man, though. Long story short, it was discovered by neighbors that the man had lost his job and his wife had been seeing another neighbor on the side. The husband killed his wife, daughter, and his mother one night during a particularly aggressive storm. They were also not discovered for many days because the wheelchair-bound mother and his wife, the man's wife, had been seen outside, as had the father. The only reason neighbors checked was because they did see the wheelchair-bound mother walking around the backyard instead of in her wheelchair. This is, I'm getting like goosebumps every time you say that you, like their ghosts are being seen. It's crazy. They discovered the dead family after two days of being murdered. The husband had been living with their bodies and pretending to go to work every day. There are a few more stories, but these are the two best because they have the most detail. My friend said that altogether there were 11 people killed in three years. Four were suicides and seven were murders. Holy shit. Dude, listen to monks when they tell you not to build a fucking housing development on a plot of land. My grandma always says, always listen to a monk because he ain't no punk. (laughs) And those are words to live by. You should, yeah. I mean, if this story tells us anything, it's that we should listen to that. You should listen to monks. Well, Ryan continues. People began leaving La La Land. Sometimes they just left all of their stuff there. Soon after the first murder, and it only got worse. The houses were on the market. They weren't selling until a handful of people, until only a handful of people were left living there. Eventually, the developers shut down La La Land and put the land up for sale, which it still is for sale today. And no one wants to buy it. He said, I decided to go to La La Land (gasps) with my friends during the day because I'm not stupid. Go during night. And explore. No. He said he didn't see anything personally, but it's definitely an uncomfortable place to be. A lot of the houses still have furniture, clothing, dishes, etc. from the owners who left. Really? Well, if you're going to leave in a hurry, you're going to leave all your shit, dude. I know, but I mean, unless it's super haunted. Think of all of the cases. Think Amityville style. Yeah, but they stayed in that house for at least a month. That was 30 days. Yeah, 28 days. Wow. Must have been really haunted then. He says, so there it is, La La Land. I have a lot more Thai urban legends that I've been told, but this one is my personal favorite. Going definitely going there definitely enhanced it for me. Hope you enjoyed my email. Smiley face. Love the show. Your biggest fan and follower, 
Ryan. I love you so much. You guys are my favorite. Oh, thanks, Ryan. <laughs> he did not say that. No, he didn't. But he means it. <laughs> I want to know. So he went there and visited? Yeah. So is it just like open? I don't know. I'm going to look it up right now. There's a movie called La La Land. With Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling? No. <laughs> yes, it's about Thailand. <laughs> um, it says it's a 2011 film about the hauntings there. Wow. So if, if it's still for sale... I have so many questions, Ryan. Oh, it's a horror movie. If it's still for sale, how did he get... I wonder how he was able to get in there. Asian um, horror movies are the scariest ones. They are the best. Wow. I don't know. Maybe it's just open. Maybe like no one fucking goes like there. abandoned? Yeah. Oh, wait, didn't he say it was abandoned? Yeah. Anyways, so thank you for your listener mail, Ryan. If anyone else has a super spooky story or even if you just want to say hi... Yeah, like literally, if you just write us an email and you're like, hi. I would love From it. Sarah Johnson. We will say hi, Sarah Johnson. Thank you for writing <laughs> in. That was great, Nicole. Great, great improv. I improvised. <laughs> I couldn't tell. Um, so yeah, if you have anything to tell us, if you want to say hi, if you have a super spooky story like Ryan, yes. write to us. Send it to quiteunusualpod at gmail.com or as always... You can slippery slide into our DMs on all the social media platforms. We have Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, MySpace now. <laughs> MySpace now. Did you make a MySpace? No, but I want to. Uh, okay, so we'll soon to come to MySpace. We have a Facebook yeah. group. Join our group. Uh, join. We have a page. We have a page. It's all right. You can like our page, but join our like group a, yeah. because that's where the... That's where shit really goes down. Yeah. Or follow us on Instagram. That's where we, <laughs> that's where we DM the hardest. That's where we really get down. All of our source material is provided for you in our description. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, subscribe to the podcast because those stats really help us. So if you want to hear more, let us know. Yeah, it's super helpful. If you guys write us a review, um, we'll post it up on social media, which is super fun. We love seeing that shit. We will send you stickers if you write us a review. Um, I don't know. Let me know what else you want, guys. I'll send you like a crayon I'll carve your name into. I'll write some weird shit on a Lego. I'll draw you a picture of Gary Busey. Nicole and I will kiss a piece of paper and mail it to you. Mm. If you want, I guess. I mean, I get, yeah, it's a little creepy, but we'll do it. If you want we have it. merch now. Oh my God, we have so much merch. Check out our uh, bio on Instagram. Click on that link and check out our merch. And I think that everyone knows that you should just always celebrate the strange. And please just keep it unusual. Bye. Bye.